So here we are again, day two. Um, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Tara. Um, and I said last night that I would talk about small groups a little bit tonight and, and the vision of what that should look like. Before we get started, I'm going to do what I pray I remember to do every single time because God knows I don't need to talk to hear the sound of my voice. So, Lord God, I pray that you would be here tonight that you would open ears, that you would open pathways for people to hear what you need said, and that you would give me your words, Lord God. Mine are a sounding gong when it is just simply what I have to say. And I trust, Father, that if you have asked me to speak, that you have something worthwhile that you intend to use me to say. So, Father, I pray that you would make me small. Jesus, I belong to you and I give over all that I am tonight to you to do with as you please in this space. And I pray, Father, that you would make the time fruitful for your kingdom and for your glory. Ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I mentioned yesterday that, that small groups are a really big push in my church right now. And that's not just true of my church. That is across the board in most of the um, faith circles that I'm connected to, which are surprisingly many, uh, there is a push towards the concept of small group, but it's a very uh, undefined term in a lot of instances. We, we look at it and Oftentimes we contrast, I know in ours right now in our church, we're contrasting informational types, small, small groups, which are your Bible studies, your Sunday schools, things like that, where you come together around a curriculum um, to learn things. And that's the whole purpose of your small group. Uh, and then there is the relational small group, which is the, the contrast that, um, we talk about when, if you are a Wesleyan, we talk about class meetings, like what they had in the beginning of the holiness movement um, of the Methodists back in the 1700s in England. Um, and those are geared around coming together to talk about what God is doing in your life. How is it with your soul? How is your soul prospering? How is your walk with Christ? Those are all different questions that you would ask. And that's the substance of the time together is just asking those questions and allowing for testimony and praying for each other. And that's a beautiful type of small group. Um, and if I had to choose one of the options, that would be definitely high on my list of choices. Uh, but those are not the only two kinds of small groups. There are other kinds of small groups. So um, I've been talking about starting a caroling choir that goes out more than just at Christmas to sing carols around the, the holy times and holy days of church. Um, to bring the good news out. And that is also a kind of small group. It is a small group around a activity or a mission or a, uh, a ministry of the church where you gather together to do the work of the kingdom together. Um, and there are others, obviously there, there are affinity groups is what they call them that are based around age and um, they might be based around activity and they all have their place, obviously, in the work of growing God's kingdom and the work of giving people things to do to exercise the gifts that God gives them. Um, 
And we are all called to use the gifts that God gives us. He doesn't bring us into churches by accident. We're there on purpose. We're there with a reason. And it is not to sit in our seats on Sunday morning and write a check. That's that's not what God tells us it is to be a part of the kingdom of God. There's more to it. We are, our whole lives are to be worship. Our whole lives are to be dedicated to him. Um, and it's not meant that our whole lives are dedicated to him in isolation and alone, which is so oftentimes what we see in the modern church. Um, so this method of small groups that I've des described where we have these different kinds of small groups, it still isn't what, it still isn't the picture that God gives us of what a small group is supposed to look like. Um, and, and it, it on the one hand, you have this need, this desire to be in those groups because we understand that there should be more than Sunday morning. And so we set these up that everybody should be part of at least one small group. And so you have a meeting on Sunday morning and you have a meeting on Wednesday evening or Thursday evening or before Sunday service or you have another meeting during the week and we call that our connection to the people of God, but it's not. It's not what, what God describes in his word. So what keeps coming back to me when I start thinking about these, these small groups is this picture that we get in Acts. So Peter stands up after Pentecost and or on Pentecost when the spirit comes and, and fills the upper room and you've got these tongues of fire dancing on the heads of the apostles and they start speaking in tongues and there's a rushing wind and all of these people are, are hearing what is coming out of the, the apostles and the people that were in that room. They're hearing the, the gospel of Jesus for the first time, a lot of times in their own language there in Jerusalem. And Peter, in response to people, you know, poking fun at this, stands up and gives his first sermon. Um, and after he tells them what has happened, he tells them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted the message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So Jesus started a mega church on Pentecost all in one day from the 120 people that were in the upper room to 3000 were added that day. They were baptized into the faith and, and you know, that's a pretty good, <laughs> that's a pretty good day. Right. Um, but what happens after that, and the next thing you see in Acts is that these people who were baptized into the faith, who had accepted the message of Jesus, who had understood that this was a revolutionary thing in their lives, that the Messiah had come and he had called them into communion with God and that that meant things should change in their lives drastically. The next thing we see is that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. 
They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, I don't want to sit here and talk to you today about selling all of our possessions um, and giving to anyone who had need. The reality is, is in the American church, that's a very foreign concept. Um, in some other parts of the world, it might not be such a foreign concept. Um, and I'm not advocating that we revolutionize the economy of the United States right now or the church in it. There may come a time when the Lord asks us to do that. But today, what he had really brought to mind was a different piece of what I just read. And that is every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts and they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So picture this. You have 3,000 new converts and 120 disciples that had been following Jesus. Um, Twelve of them were the, the chosen apostles and and the rest of their brethren that had been there when the Holy Spirit pours out at Pentecost. Um, you have these 3,000 new believers who heard the gospel and believed in Jesus. And what happens is they all begin to meet together every single day. And they meet together in the temple courts, but then they go to their, their homes together. They eat together with glad hearts. They rejoice. They spend time every day breaking bread in fellowship with one another, praising God and learning the apostles' teachings. They're, they're spending time together every single day as the community of God, as the body of Christ in small groups of people, not there to read a Bible study and watch a DVD and not there to come once a week to check off a box that says that I am in fellowship with the community of God and I have done more than my Sunday morning worship. That's not the point of what they're doing. They're spending all of their time in the process of building the kingdom, in the process of growing together, in the process of being relationships. Jesus put people in relationships with one another. When he is hanging on the cross, he says to John about his mother Mary, John, this is your mother. Mary, this is your son. He's, he, he puts people in relationship with one another to care for each other in their day-to-day -day lives. One of the problems with our, our modern church um, is this notion that we don't want to intrude upon one another. And we, we all have our own business and we want to stay out of each other's business. It's nobody's business to know what's going on in my life more than I want to tell them. It is not up to them to, to be worried about my stuff. Um, and unless I open my mouth and ask for help, they should leave me alone. We have that. Now we wouldn't speak that obviously. This isn't something that we would say out loud to people. Um, but really we have this thought of mind your own business. That, I mean, it's an, it's a, it's a given, it's an axiom, it's, it's expected in our 
communities and in our culture that we're going to mind our own business, right? That, that it's nosy and pushy for us to get into each other's business and that we should just mind one, mind our own business and leave each other alone unless we're asked. The problem with that is it's killing us and it's not biblical and it's not Christian. Um, and it doesn't work for growing people in faith. It doesn't work for growing the kingdom of God. The fact of the matter is, is according to scripture, according to this picture in Acts, we're supposed to be in each other's business. We're supposed to be eating with one another every day. We're supposed to be sharing our food together each day. We're supposed to be helping each other clean, each, clean our houses and change our babies. We're supposed to be shopping together and we're supposed to be taking each other to the doctors and holding each other's hands and grieving with those who are grieving and rejoicing with those who are rejoicing. We're supposed to love one another. Did you know, how many of you know that that is Jesus's command to his disciples when he says that we should make disciples teaching them to obey all that he has commanded what he commands his disciples is to love one another and that that is how the world will know them by how they love one another well the reality is is we cannot love one another if we mind our own business we cannot love one another well if the only time we see each other is a Sunday morning worship service and our one time a week small group where we have an hour to go around the room and talk about how we've seen God this week in our lives or go around the room and talk about the answers to the questions for our Bible study this week or watch a 20 minute video and then talk about what we think about it. That is not enough time for us to form the kind of relationships that are required for us to love one another the way that Jesus calls us to love, the way that he loved his disciples. He loved his disciples and he loved the world so much that he gave up heaven to come here and he loved them so much. He loved his disciples so much to invite them to follow him wherever he went. He had people that followed him everywhere that he spent time with morning and night and noon and when he was eating and when he was sleeping, he was teaching them, he was listening to them, he was rebuking them sometimes, he was helping them to grow. He knew the things that were going on in their hearts and in their minds and in their lives. And that's what Jesus did. When he was here, we talked about that yesterday, that we're supposed to be Jesus to people, right? And that we're supposed to build the kingdom the way that he built the kingdom because it is his kingdom that we're building. And he called us to be like him and to teach others to be like him. And so he calls us to love each other the way that he loved his disciples and the way that he loves us. And the way that he loves us is he comes to dwell in us, right? He comes to dwell with us, to walk with us, to be with us all the time. And he sets that as a huge priority in his life here on earth was to be with his disciples, right? To spend the time with them, to teach them what they needed to know so that when he was gone, they would be able to carry on with confidence and with joy that when the spirit came and settled upon them, they would know what to do with him. 
that they would know how to stand before a crowd of thousands of people and proclaim the gospel message, that they would know how to stand in the face of the Sanhedrin a little while later when they were arrested and say, this is what you have done and we must follow God rather than man. And to stand in the face of persecution and being beaten and told not to under threat of death told not to speak the name of Christ anymore. And yet they went out and did. And then they went and sat with their friends who loved them, right? Love one another well. They went back to these people that they loved deeply and that loved them deeply with the love of Christ. And they all prayed for courage to continue to proclaim the gospel because I don't know about you, but when I'm by myself, it's easy for my courage to fail, right? Much better to come together with other people, to pray together, for courage to fall upon us. And do you know what happened when they all prayed together? When they all sat there and they prayed, God, we need more of you. We need courage to continue in the face of this persecution, to continue in the face of being beaten. We rejoice that you have allowed us to suffer for the name of Christ. And we ask that you would give us courage to continue. And the Lord poured out a spirit again and the whole room shook. And they went boldly proclaiming the gospel. And they went in the community of believers knowing that they were loved by those that God had placed them with as part of his family, as part of the family of God. They had people that they were deeply connected to, that they ate with and that they talked with. You see Jesus eating with people all the time, spending time in intimate conversation and connection with people so that he could love them well. That is what our small groups are supposed to look like. And I know that if you're like me, your brain is sitting there telling you why that is such an unreasonable thing. It is so unreasonable that we would be expected to make time in our busy schedules to eat daily with the people of God or to spend time every day in the fellowship and in the prayer and in the breaking of bread. That it's unreasonable to expect that we would turn everything upside down in order to mirror the first century. I mean, really, we're in the 21st century. How crazy is it that we would mirror the things they did in the first century? Because that's just not practical right now, right? It's not practical for us to set aside our baseball games and our television and our meetings and the 9 million other things we have to do to make time every day to spend we need our us time, our alone time. I mean, obviously Jesus withdrew to lonely places frequently, right? But the reality is most of his time he spent with his people. And he calls us to do the same thing. This isn't a pastor's job. I know that most pastors are expected to be on kind of 24-7, and they should be because we are all actually 24-7 people of God. There is no such time as that is us time. 
there is no such thing in our lives as Christians that is ours, that doesn't belong to God. We give it all to God. You know, that is one of the things that when we when we look at that passage as, as American Christians, we cringe at the idea because we, we scream socialism in our brain. But the fact is, is it wasn't just about their property and it wasn't just about that they were buying and selling all of their stuff and giving to everybody who had need. The idea of that was that they were one family, that everything that they had been given was given to them by God, that they gave it all back to him in the recognition that they all belonged to him and to one another. How would that change us if we began to understand that we all belong to God fully, that everything we have, everything we are, all of it belongs to God fully, and that he has given each and every one of us to one another as a gift. That you are a gift to the person who sits next to you every month, every Sunday morning at church. That you are a gift to your annoying neighbor who drives you crazy and who you'd rather avoid. That you are a gift to the harried mother who comes roaring through your checkout line at the store every day with her screaming kids. That you are a gift to the people of God and as the people of God, you are a gift to the world meant to bring them into reconciliation, to shine the light of Christ into a world that is dark and dying. If you do a Google search on loneliness, and I haven't done this because God told me not to prepare for these things. If you do a Google search on loneliness, what you will find, though, is that it is at epidemic proportions. Isolation and loneliness are some of the biggest pains that people are feeling in our society. The statistics say that in the most connected century ever to exist on this planet, in the most connected time of humanity, when we are constantly connected to everybody in the world, we are the most lonely and isolated people who have ever existed. And it's killing people. It's not how we're meant to be. We're built to be in families. And Jesus is the answer to that. God calls us to love our neighbors. He calls us to love him first. And there's a reason for that. I don't know about you. I know me. I cannot love my neighbor. Unless I love God first. And unless I know that I have accepted Jesus and that he has come to dwell in me and that there is a Jesus in me because the reality is that Jesus in me will love my neighbor and he will help me to love my neighbor. And as I love my neighbor, that means I'm involved with my neighbor. But Jesus also tells us to love one another first because it is only when we are together as the church that he has the multiple avenues to make huge impacts on all of our neighbors. His church is the richest resource this world has for carrying the gospel message, the healing power of the kingdom of God, the antidote to our modern atomization and our modern isolation. The church is our richest resource for that. The people of God loving one another and showing the world what it looks like to genuinely 
know each other well enough to love each other. But that begins with a vision of small groups that has nothing to do with curriculum. It has nothing to do with a specific activity. It has nothing to do even with relationship groups that meet once a week to talk about what God is doing. It has to do with moving beyond that and understanding ourselves as God's family, opening up our houses to invite people in to share a meal regularly, opening up our houses to invite people in for prayer and for fellowship. It involves knowing one another and being known. It involves each one of us being willing to take the lead in that, to invite people in, and then when they come, to be open enough and vulnerable enough to show them who we are and where we need their prayers, where we need their love, where we need to know them so that we can love them and so that we can let them use the gifts that God has given them. We are all so afraid to be in need because we're also very independent. And it might be okay if we need God, but it's not okay if we need our neighbor to love us. It's not okay if maybe they know something more than we do. And that gift is a gift to us to help us with the thing that we're struggling with, whatever that might be. It's not okay for us to need people. But the reality is, is we're made to need people. That's part of the gift of God's kingdom is that all of us need each other and all of us are the answer to somebody else's prayer, somebody else's need. There's not a single one of the people in God's kingdom that is there by accident and doesn't have a purpose. We are all there meant to be knit together as the body of Christ, meant to be built together into the kingdom of God, meant to be built together into the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are called to be together. And I'll be real with you. If you look at that thing in Acts and you see that there's 3,000 people there to start with, right? 3,000 people are not going to fit in the houses in Jerusalem. They, they weren't that big, right? They're smaller than that. And so they went to eat together in groups that could fit around each other's tables and share food with one another and talk to each other and get to know each other and be a part of each other's lives. And then they would come back together to pray and to worship as a whole. And then they would go back to knowing each other in small groups and being a part of each other's lives and being in each other's business and knowing what was going on with one another. Because as you do that, you build connections that change the way you live. They change the way you see the people around you. They say they change the way you see God and the way you see the spirit moving in you. And you begin to resonate with one another. And as you do that, it ripples out. You notice that as that goes on, if you read the book of Acts and you continue to look at it, but even at the end of that there, it says, and they were being added to their numbers daily, those who were being saved. Daily, as they did these things. If we want to see awakening, if we want to see the church transform the world that we live in, if we hunger for the presence of God to come and to change things around us, we need, we need this kind of commitment 
to love each other well as an example, because that is what draws people to Christ. When we lift up Christ as the center of the things that we do, when we lift up Christ as the thing that holds us together and draws us together, miracles happen, wonders and signs happen, and the world notices it. And in their darkness and in their pain and in their brokenness, they are drawn to the light that the people of God become when they allow Jesus to move in them and through them and to knit them together. And I think that's all I have for tonight, except we're going to close with the other verse that God gave me here. When I started um, seminary, one of the first things I studied was Ephesians 4. And I will probably forever love this passage as a result of that. So in Ephesians 4, it talks about the, the people that God gave as gifts to the church, that Christ gave the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists and the pastor teachers. And I'm always fascinated by that because spiritual gifts are a beautiful thing. But the rest of the passage is what really struck me tonight. Because he gave these people to equip the saints of God to do the work of ministry, to build the church, to become the body of Christ, built up in the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, and to become mature and attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Mm, can you imagine if we walked in the fullness of Christ every day? No longer infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. For him, or from him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. That's the picture of small groups. That's the picture of the body of Christ. Each part doing its part. Each of them connected together through the Holy Spirit dwelling in us and connecting us together with Christ as the head. All of us coming together intimately to know each other, to be part of each other's lives, to, to be the body of Christ in the whole of the world. Church is a beautiful thing. It's important that believers be part of a worshiping church that comes together every week to worship the Lord. God commands it in the Ten Commandments with the, the reminder to keep the Sabbath holy. He continues to command it in the New Testament where he calls us to gather together in Hebrews and Paul. You see that all the time with him calling on the people to gather with one another. The fact is we are called as a body to worship our creator. And it's important that we do that. It's important that we be a part of a body of Christ, that we be a part of a church that worships the Lord. And it is important that we do the things in small groups like learning. Bible studies are important. It's good to teach people how to know the word. Activity groups like choirs or food ministries or any of those things, children's ministries, the things that we do to serve people 
are important. It's part of the body. It's part of what we do. They appointed Stephen and the six other apostles to run the food ministry of the early church. Um, you know, a little after this passage we looked at today. Those kinds of groups are important. But they're not the point. The point is to know each other so well that when one part of the body is hurting, everybody else is there to help it heal. That when one part of the body is falling, everybody else is there to exhort them and encourage them and pick them up and put them on the right path. We're supposed to be in each other's business. We're supposed to know what's going on. It's supposed to be normal. That we are a part of each other's lives because you cannot be a part of a body without being a part of each other's lives. I pray that the Lord bless you tonight. I pray that he will bless you tomorrow. I will, he, I will be here again then. And I pray that in the meantime, you are blessed and will be a blessing to those around you. Lord God, I ask that you touch each hearer tonight, that you show them, Lord, how to connect with the people around them, how to connect with those in their church, how to connect with those in their neighborhoods, how to connect with whoever Father it is that you desire them to connect with. I pray that you would break down every barrier, Father God. If there are people that are listening to this that are thinking to themselves, I'm an introvert, people make me tired. I pray that you would break that label off of them, Father God. I pray that you would cast out that label that the world has placed upon them and that you would remind them that the only label that matters is child of God, that you belong to them or that they belong to you and you belong to them and that they are a part of your family, Father God, that you have called them into community with you and with others and that that is a blessing, Father God, and that you will give them the energy and that you will give them the love for others that they need. And Father, there are others that they're very extroverted, but they may not like that idea of being in everybody's business, Father, I pray that you would break those chains too. That you would remind us, Lord God, that you already know all of our stuff and you already know exactly the people we need to be whole in community with one another. So I pray your blessings on them, Father. I pray that you would open eyes and I pray most of all, Lord, that you would send your Holy Spirit on each of one of us that you would awaken hearts that have been sleeping for a long time, that you would help us, Lord God, to shrug off the chains that hold us and that we would walk with boldness, Lord God. I pray that we would pray, that we would pray that you would give us courage to go out into the world and preach the gospel and let you transform us into the people that you have created us to be. We ask in Jesus' name, Lord God, and by the power of your Holy Spirit and all for your honor and glory. Amen. Be blessed.